Hello and welcome to Euroactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week we are focusing on the European Commission President's Ursula von der Leyen annual State of the Union speech. The President addressed the key issues on the EU agenda and announced new measures, programs and plans. here with a conviction that with the necessary courage and with the necessary solidarity, Putin will fail and Ukraine and Europe will prevail. Today, courage has a name and that name is Ukraine. Courage has a face and that face is the face of Ukrainian men and women who are standing up to the Russian aggression. The topic that overshadowed the rest was Ukraine, with VDL paying tribute to all Ukrainians, and in particular Olena Zelenska, Ukraine's first lady, who was attending the speech in person in Strasbourg. The Commission will work with Ukraine to go a step further and to ensure a seamless access to the single market of the European Union. Our single market is one of Europe's greatest success stories. We know the power that lies in the single market. So now it is time to make it a success story for our Ukrainian friends too. And this is why today I'm going to Kiev to discuss all this with President Zelensky and to show him what the single market is as a potential for Ukraine's future too. So I think, Evi, one of the most interesting announcements was probably that she would be going to Kiev just after her speech in Strasbourg. Alexandra Przozowski is Euractiv's global news editor. It is the third visit since the invasion started on the 24th of February. Uh, she intends to discuss Ukraine's access to the EU single market with Zelensky. So I think, you know, um, she was generally very strong on Ukraine in her speech. And I think that that kind of overshadowed all the other areas that, that she was supposed to mention. I mean, she promised more finances to rebuild the country and to keep EU sanctions against Russia in place. So, But she kind of provided little substance when it came to several other important files. I mean, pressing issues uh, that the bloc uh, is facing at the moment. So before Wednesday, we heard from several officials that they have been dissatisfied um, with the low level of consultation, how von der Leyen's cabinet was um, coordinating with various policy departments in the commission. And President von der Leyen mentioned in her speech that the path to democracy is through expansion. The path towards strong democracies and the path towards our union are one and the same. And so I want to know the people of the Western Balkans, Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia, to know, and I think I speak in the name of this noble house, you are part of our family, you are the future of our union and in our union, and our union is not complete without you. This has to be the message. Well, I think there were not really any new announcements on enlargement, as was kind of expected, because, you know, the candidate status debate is, is kind of concluded. We're waiting for the EU enlargement package to be pun- uh, published this, this autumn. So I think there's a lot of things coming, but um, she did renew her previous pledges to the Western Balkans, to Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia. What I found striking was her outward support for Macron's um, pet project of the European political community. I think um, last week, um, some EU officials told us reporters that uh, next um, to the six Western Balkan countries, 
Several countries from the EU's near neighborhood will be among those invited to the October Prague Summit, uh, the informal one, um, early next month. Um, it will be a lot of non-EU countries. So we're speaking about the EFTA countries, about the UK, Eastern Partnership minus Belarus, and even Turkey are expected to receive an invite. So I think it will be very interesting to see how this develops and how the Commission will be working together with Macron, who is clearly driving the initiative um, in shaping how this new format could, could look like. Alex, what was that you missed in this speech? Uh, what was left out, in your opinion? When we think about the hard foreign policy stuff, um, there was a stunning absence of uh, defense policy references. I mean, defense is usually her strong talking point. She's a former defense German defense minister. It was largely absent from her speech. So I think this is particularly surprising as it could be considered one of the successes uh, for once, uh, I think, in the last few months, compared to years where, you know, there was a lot of trial and error to give the bloc a proper foreign and defense angle. Um, we saw especially, I mean, when we think of, of the success, um, that drawing the quick lessons from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, EU leaders had agreed in March to kind of collectively um, bolster investment into defense capabilities, uh, substantially increase defense spending across the block and so on and so on. And also the EU broke a longstanding taboo with financing third countries' um, uh, weapon supplies through the European peace facility. So there would have been something to refer to. It was surprising that it was missing, I think. And moving to the next hot topic, energy, of course, uh, with the bloc preparing for one of the hardest winters when it comes to energy. We are proposing a cap on the revenues of companies that produce electricity at low costs. These companies are making revenues they never accounted for, they never even dreamt of. And don't get me wrong, in our social market economy, Profits are okay, they are good. But in these times, it is wrong to receive extraordinary record revenues and profits benefiting from war and on the back of our consumers. In these times, profits must be shared and channeled to those who need it most. Well, there was a lot of expectation about this speech. Uh, there were a lot of leaked documents uh, that came out in the past uh, week or two with several ideas that were being floated. Frederic Simon is Euractiv's energy editor. Probably the most prominent one, the most uh, eye-catching was um, uh, an idea to uh, cap the price of Russian gas uh, imported into the European Union. Uh, this possibility was described in one of the Commission non-papers, as they call it. So there were options, not formal proposals, but they were pretty well uh, explored in this uh, paper. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, von der Leyen did not uh, pursue uh, this avenue. Uh, there was a meeting of energy ministers last week where they discussed this proposal, and it was quite obvious uh, that there was not a sufficient majority of countries uh, to, to support a, a price cap on Russian gas. Now, there was another uh, idea also discussed at the um, meeting of energy ministers last week, which was to cap uh, the price of gas generally on the wholesale market. 
Uh, and that was um, a proposal that had a lot of support from countries like Belgium uh, or Italy. But again, this is not a part uh, of the announcement uh, that came out today from Ursula von der Leyen. So uh, you can expect that maybe some of these countries will be uh, disappointed. On the other hand, um, it was also going to be a very controversial uh, proposal if something like this had um, come on the table. And so uh, instead of that, uh, Ursula von der Leyen described um, an alternative, which is to set up a task force with representatives of the EU member states to try and negotiate better deals with gas supplying countries like the US, Qatar. And she also mentioned the need of reliable providers like uh, Norway. We need to keep working on lower gas prices. So on one hand, we have to ensure the security of supply. On the other hand, we have to ensure global competitiveness, the security of supply because the gas still has to come to the European Union, the energy of all. On the other hand, if it's too expensive, it's damaging our global competitiveness. So we will develop with the member states a set of measures to take into account the specific nature of our relationship with suppliers, ranging from unreliable suppliers such as Russia to reliable friends such as our Norwegian friends, for example. Yeah, in terms of the emergency response, um, one of the announcements that was confirmed from what we heard in the past week or two was um, a, a proposal to cap uh, the, the revenues made by electricity firms uh, during the crisis. The way the European electricity market is um, uh, functioning today um, is, is based on what is called the merit order, which is the cheapest uh, sources of electricity come first and the, and the, the most expensive come, come last. And these are the ones which are actually setting the price. And these days, of course, it's, it's the gas uh, which is setting the price. And because the prices of, uh, of gas have multiplied like tenfold uh, since the crisis started, you can imagine the price of electricity has, uh, has also exploded. And so the idea that um, uh, was uh, presented today by Ursula von der Leyen is a, uh, to, to introduce a so-called windfall tax or, lim or revenue limit on these uh, low-cost electricity uh, generators. So we're talking about renewables essentially, but also uh, nuclear power uh, generators. They will be asked to, to make a, a contribution um, with some kind of levy. And so that money will then be redistributed uh, to consumers, households, small businesses who are struggling currently with their energy bills. So that's the, that's the short term answer. And then long term, there is indeed a plan to uh, more fundamentally reform the, uh, the EU's electricity market so that you can decouple the price of gas from the price of electricity. But that is still very much up for discussion. There are many ideas on the table which are being discussed, but nothing really clear um, um, uh, emerging. Uh, at the moment, there's a, a proposal from the European Commission which is expected um, sometime uh, before uh, the end of this year, maybe beginning of next year. Why is this important? 
Well, obviously, um, uh, we're in a big energy crisis now. The prices of gas and electricity have multiplied, you know, like tenfold. Um, and, and consumers are feeling the, uh, uh, the, the pain, really. They're feeling the pinch um, for, for households, but also for, for businesses. Some of them are being asked to, to shut down temporarily so that energy can be uh, saved. Um, uh, during the winter, uh, which hasn't really uh, started yet. So uh, we are entering potentially a winter where there could be rationing uh, of gas uh, in order to channel the amounts of gas that we have uh, towards the most vulnerable uh, consumers, so small businesses and households. Uh, and. Um, and yes, I mean, this rationing is going to be a bit painful for the European economy. There are many economists now saying that there's a good chance that we're going to enter a recession um, because of this. Um, the, the question is more how, like how severe the recession is going to be. And speaking of recession, VDL talked about the new rules that are coming. We also have to acknowledge a new reality of higher public debt. We need fiscal rules that allow for strategic investment while safeguarding fiscal sustainability. Rules that are fit for the challenges of this decade. And therefore, in October, we will come forward with new ideas for our economic governance. Let me share a few basic principles with you. Member states should have more flexibility on their debt reduction path. But there should be more accountability on the delivery of what we have agreed on. There should be simpler rules that all can follow to open the space for strategic investments. We need it. For a long time, the fiscal rules in the EU have been uh, part of a contentious debate. Uh, mainly between the frugal states and the states that uh, want to spend more in order to um, keep their economies going or in to, to invest in, into their economies. Janusz Allenbach-Hamann is your Actives Economy and Jobs Editor. The Commission has announced a review of these fiscal rules, the whole macroeconomic governance um, of the European Union that decides how much a country can... Um, can spend, how much governments can have debt. Uh, and yeah, so now we are coming to a close of this review process. And Vidyal said, uh, announced that in October, we expect this, uh, this new proposal. And she said, we can, uh, we can expect it. Um, and she gave some principles already the, that we can expect in this proposal. And she said, um, there should be possibilities to invest more. Um, this has been a big um, point of criticism from more uh, from countries of, of the south more um, and but also to to give the the frugal state something she wants to make the enforcement of the rules uh, easier so a, a harsher uh, more serious enforcement of the rules but a little the, the rules will be a little um, less harsh on on investment and uh, what about trade Janos? She said she wanted more trade negotiations, uh, also with what she says reliable partners. So she wants the the EU to be less uh, rely uh, dependent 
on uh, on states like Russia, of course, but uh, also China. Um, and so there are a couple of uh, trade negotiations going on or that have been already the negotiations are done, but they it's not ratified yet, it's not signed yet. So there is a, a New Zealand, a Mexico and, and Chile. Chile is especially interesting because there are a lot of uh, raw materials there that uh, the EU absolutely needs if, she, if it wants to go towards this economic sovereignty. Um, and there are also negotiations with bigger partners like uh, Australia and potentially India. So there is a big push now to uh, to go for trade negotiations with India, um, and to to finish that before the end of of the this this legislature. Janos, why is it important for the EU to be independent on this sector as well? I think on the one hand, it is really this this urge to uh, get rid of these dependencies because the EU is la- very ha- uh, largely dependent on on China with, uh, for example, the um, German uh, market, the German industry exporting a lot to China. So there, if suddenly we had a a geopolitical issue like uh, a similar one like we have with Russia, it would be so much harder to to cut these ties. Um, And on the other hand, the EU is sees itself as a free trade bloc, as a a multilateralist, we want free exchange with everybody. And in the last years, we have seen the EU taking a harder stance in, on trade issues, trying to uh, impose its interests uh, more um, more forcefully, which has um, been viewed by some to be more protectionist. And I think uh, the EU, or, or some in the Commission at least, want to push back against this uh, trope that the EU is now becoming more protectionist by... Uh, re-pushing, um, again, pushing these uh, trade negotiations. And finally, going back to the most prominent topic of her speech, Ukraine, VDL announced uh, 19 billion euros to support Ukraine and 100 million on reconstruction. Uh, what's new there? So there is not a lot that is actually new. Uh, I was surprised that, that we didn't hear much about reconstruction. She said it's important. And she announced um, that the EU would help uh, build up uh, Ukrainian schools that were damaged. Uh, she said uh, the EU would free up uh, or would invest 100 million euros uh, for the reconstruction of, of schools. That That is uh, good, of course. Um, however, we have to keep in mind that the reconstruction needs are enormous and 100 million is just a, a drop in a um, drop on a hot stone. Um, like the the last figures I have seen from the Kiev School of Economics says that seventy five billion dollars would be needed just to reconstruct the housing that was destroyed, and then there is transport infrastructure, there is administrative buildings, there is hospitals, and there there is like a ton of stuff that 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 has to be reconstructed. We are talking of multiple hundred billions of of euros, so these hundred million. Uh, Euros that that uh, von der Leyen now announced are should be seen that as a, as a symbolic gesture, I think, and uh, hopefully we we are going to see more.
You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractiv.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our tech podcast and our agri-food podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcasts at euractiv.com. And President von der Leyen wants to support Ukraine on technology too. We will not only support financially, but also empower Ukraine to make the most of its potential. Ukraine has already a rising tech hub and home is home to many very young, smart companies. We will bring Ukraine into our European free roaming area. It's really time to do that now. We have already seen a movement in these areas, mostly by European telecom companies uh, that have voluntarily Uh, provided aid to Ukrainian refugees by distributing SIM cards or providing free Wi-Fi to the refugee camps. Luca Bertuzzi is Euractiv's technology editor. I mean, imagine you are very far away from your country, you're trying to reach your um, family or friends. Uh, connectivity is important, especially in these uh, moments of urgency. And um, there were discussion already about lifting uh, roaming charges uh, for, for Ukrainians. Um, but the thing is, uh, for that you need an agreement with Ukrainian operators as well. And Uh, I think there are in total uh, three operators. One of them is Russian. Uh, so no agreement was reached. How in practice they are going to do this, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe they they will have uh, Kiev to introduce legislation uh, that will uh, lift the charges. Um, but all... Also in that case, you need to find an agreement on how you distribute uh, the cost for operating the networks. Um, so also in this case, uh, we need more details to really assess this proposal. Another announcement that will have a big impact is the Raw Material Act. So we will identify strategic projects all along the supply chain, from extracting to refining, from processing to recycling, And we will build up strategic reserves where supply is at risk. This is why today I am announcing a European Critical Raw Materials Act. As, as von der Leyen mentioned, uh, rare earth minerals will become uh, the, the new scarce resources that will sit at the heart of uh, the future economy. Therefore, uh, we can expect already um, now that in a few decades their demand will soar, especially for electronic devices. And this idea of uh, taking a, a step in advance in this case seems uh, very appropriate. Luca, she also talked about sovereignty funding. What is happening with that? Yeah, well, um, not as much as usual, to be honest. The whole uh, debate about strategic autonomy uh, didn't really feature uh, 
in her speech. She did gloat about uh, the CHIPS Act, saying that it's already a success because uh, uh, in, there are already announcements of factories uh, opening up in Europe. Uh, we have seen Intel uh, committing to invest uh, 30 billions in Europe, uh, more than half of that in Germany. Uh, but in any case, uh, the Commission said, uh, the Commission President said that um, we should replicate such a success also in the raw material case. And to do that, uh, she has committed more funding without giving any specifics uh, to these uh, important projects of common European interest, uh, which play an important role in the Commission uh, industrial strategy to finance strategic projects. This financing uh, will be funneled uh, by a new European sovereignty fund. Um, uh, about funding, I'm always a bit skeptical about commission announcement because usually they repackage uh, what um, the, the money that they already have. And uh, we will see what will happen, but just uh, just putting this out there. During her one-hour speech, Ursula von der Leyen mentioned the need to move to hydrogen, which can be a game changer for the EU. Hydrogen is seen as a way of um, storing energy from renewable sources um, because renewable sources can basically create uh, liquid hydrogen, um, which can be transported and so on. So there's a big move to uh, increase the amount of hydrogen in Europe. Sean Galden Carroll is your active transport editor. Um, so in order to help you know, boost the, the production of green hydrogen, uh, von der Leyen announced that they will set up uh, what's called a European hydrogen bank. Uh, and this bank will be able to invest uh, 3 billion euros uh, into helping to build this, this future market for hydrogen. Um, already the, the EU has an aim that by 2030, they want to produce um, tens of millions of tons of renewable hydrogen. Uh, and that should happen every year. And the sanctions imposed against Russia are affecting the production of the vehicles in Russia. Why is this important? That's right. So um, von der Leyen made a specific reference to the impact that the EU sanctions are having on Russia's economy and its connectivity, uh, particularly the transport sector. So um, she basically highlighted the massive slowdown in the production of vehicles in the country due to the EU sanctions, which she said has fallen by 75%. Um, and she also made reference to Aeroflot, which is the national airline of Russia, that their planes have been grounded because of a lack of spare parts to fix them. So under the EU sanctions, uh, EU companies are essentially prohibited from sending these spare parts, which planes need to be fixed, uh, to Russia. And also Russian planes are prohibited from entering EU airspace. One of the topics that didn't make it on von der Leyen's agenda was agriculture and food security, although there are many concerns on that sector. Yeah, she was very quiet about food security and farming, didn't mention, uh, didn't merit a single mention in the first part of Wanderlion's speech. Natasha Foote is your active agri-food reporter. Um, but she did eventually come back to the sector in her responses to the group leaders who really pushed on this. A lot of them mentioned food prices, squeezing consumers. They mentioned the farming sector. So in the kind of second part, um, she did speak about it, although she didn't really offer that much new information about this. Um, she basically took the moment to 
reiterate that the global food crisis is uh, all on Putin. It's all Russia's fault. It's not at all to do with the sanctions that the EU have put on Russia, um, which is kind of the line that, that Putin has been uh, has has been saying. Um, so she, she reiterated that, but she also placed a focus on fertilizers. Of course, it's been a huge issue of booming fertilizer prices, which is, of course, linked to uh, fossil fuel and energy prices. Um, and she spoke about... Um, the solidarity contribution, uh, which was actually presented in a non-paper listing emergency measures to address the challenges in the energy market. So this is this kind of um, tax that, you know, on, on the extra profits of companies. And she was saying that this can be used to support fertilizer production. So I'd say that's probably the most notable uh, mention in, in what she said. Um, But she did also really underscore the fact that overall the focus really has to be on cutting down uh, these inputs. So she was saying, you know, the more we save, the less we pay and the less we're reliant on uh, fossil fuel based fertilisers, the more we can be independent from this. Um, So she was urging the need to move more swiftly than ever together to create sustainable, resilient agriculture, of course, referencing the, the Green Deal and the EU's flagship food policy, the farm to fork strategy. And while the pandemic is still here, the Commission's president announced that vaccine factories will be established in Africa. Together with our African partners, we're building two factories in Rwanda and Senegal to manufacture mRNA vaccines. So they will be made in Africa, for Africa, with world-class technology. And we are now replicating this approach across Latin America, as a part of a larger engagement strategy that has to pick up now urgently. Well, there's been a lot of, uh, of, of this issue and, and a lot of criticism regarding the hoarding of, of COVID-19 vaccines. So Europe and, and other wealthy countries have been very fast in securing uh, as many vaccines as they could. Amelie Mersch is Euractiv's health reporter. Um, what Ursula von der Leyen also mentioned is this global gateway strategy, which is partially focused on health. So it's this stepping up of, of efforts to help aid production in especially African countries. She mentioned specifically Rwanda and Senegal um, and wanting to also expand in Latin America. Um, but that being said, you know, there's still quite a few or a lot of criticism Um, regarding hoarding COVID vaccines uh, for themselves. And pharmaceutical companies are benefiting quite a lot of this this pandemic. What she didn't mention is that we are facing another autumn and winter with new strains of COVID and and more infections. So so there will be some more efforts um, in the future. And also the European Medicines Agency has just recommended new adapted vaccines and member states will be stepping up uh, efforts again. So she didn't mention much, but but things will be happening. Amelie, uh, President von der Leyen mentioned also the importance of mental health. What can we expect there? Well, it's a bit hard to know exactly what to expect on mental health. She did say that she'd sent a letter to European Parliament President Roberta Mazzola and also to the Czech Prime Minister Petra Fiala. Uh, asking for a new initiative, uh, following some conclusions from the Conference of the Future of Europe, where uh, a lot of the, the citizen participants there did ask for efforts on this field, but she didn't actually provide much more information on, on exactly, you know, what had she asked them for, <laughs> what what new initiative would this be? But it is important because um, 
mental health has been in decline for a long time, even before the pandemic. And then pandemic or COVID-19 restrictions have kind of accelerated this. So we see, especially amongst young people, that they have been struggling a lot and, and uh, mental health issues have risen quite a bit. In her speech, President von der Leyen highlighted the importance of Conference of Europe. We have started to see what our new horizon might be. A braver union, closer to its people in times of needs, bolder in responding to historic challenges and the daily concerns of our European, and to walk at their side when they deal with the big trials of life. This is why the Conference on the Future of Europe was so important. It was a sneak peek of a different kind of citizens' engagement, well beyond Election Day. Um, what she said about the Conference on the Future of Europe, I mean, I, I think that was more, there wasn't a lot of substance there. Benjamin Fox is Euractiv's politics editor. And I think one of the takeaways from the speech as a whole is that um, there are quite a few major policies and policy areas that she didn't cover at all. Um I mean, it was rather strange that in the context of, you know, the the war on Ukraine, that she didn't say anything about, um, for example, making foreign, you know, improving the the functioning of EU foreign policy, um, which of course is at the heart of this idea of reopening the treaties, um, and also the no mention at all of defence policy. Um, so I think one of the takeaways is that um, there's a lot of nice rhetoric, but there was an awful lot of substance, policy substance that just wasn't there. Thank you very much. I am Evikiori, and this was Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit Euractiv for the latest news, and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself, with the help of Alexandra Brzozowski, Frederick Simon, Janos allenbach aman Luca Bertuzzi, Sean Golding-Carroll, Natasha Foote, Amelie Mersch, and Benjamin Fox. Thank you for listening. Thank you.